This morning, I get the privilege of sharing God's Word with you. So if you'll open up your Bibles to Matthew 26, we're going to be focused uh, primarily in verse 28. Um, If you have an electronic Bible, um, the version that is near and dear to my heart is called the Holman Christian Standard Bible. So if you wanted to switch over to that just to be able to follow along word for word. Sometimes I know that's a distracting uh, thing not to have word for word. Otherwise, we got some NLTs uh, in the, underneath the seats if you're needing a Bible this morning. We've been going through a series called Basic Christianity. Um, if you are new to the church and you'd like to follow along with us, um, these are free in the foyer. Feel free to pick one up um, at no charge. Um, I'm not one who likes to preach from books. I like to preach from the Bible, so we're going to dive right into God's Word. So let's go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 26. I'm going to have you back up two verses to verse 26, and we'll start there together. Also, I should let you know, today's subject is about the death of Jesus, just so context. All right. As they were eating, they being Jesus and his disciples, his 12 disciples, as they were eating, Jesus took bread blessed it and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood that establishes the covenant. It is shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. So some context of what's going on here. Jesus is celebrating his last supper with his 12 disciples. The supper that he is celebrating is called the Passover. It is a festival that the Israelites celebrate year after year to remember when they were slaves in Egypt and God delivered them from their slavery by using 10 plagues to judge the gods of Egypt. And during that festival, one of the things that they do during that meal is they have um, some bread that they share with one another. It's called matzah, And it is bread without yeast, because that night when they were delivered out of slavery, God said, you're not going to have time to make, you're not going to have time to put yeast in the bread and let it rise and cook it. You're going to be eating in haste because you're out of here tonight. So year after year, they make this bread without yeast. And over time, it, it, it was known that yeast represented sin. And so in this context, Jesus is saying, this bread is my body without sin. Also, This bread, in order to keep it a flat bread, they would take an awl and they would pierce it in stripes. And Isaiah 53 said that the Messiah would be pierced for our transgressions, and by his stripes we would be healed. Again, Jesus says, this is my body, broken for you on the cross. Every time you partake of this, do so in remembrance of me. And then he grabs a cup. And in this cup, again, there's a whole meal that's taking place. And in this, in, when he grabs a cup, he's not just grabbing any cup. He is grabbing one of four cups that are a part of the tradition of this meal. And each cup actually has a name. And the cup that he grabs, the, being the third one after the meal is done, is called the cup of redemption, otherwise known as the cup of Messiah. And he says, this cup represents my blood, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. This night when I shed my blood, it will be for redemption. So every time you drink this cup of redemption, this cup of Messiah, do so in remembrance of me. So today I want to talk about the death of Jesus, but I want to talk about the death of Jesus as a blood covenant. Now that's not familiar terms to American ears. We don't normally talk about blood covenants. 
Okay? So I want to dive deep into that in God's Word today to kind of bring out what do I mean by that. Now, as I thought of this topic, I realized that there's probably going to be some questions that people are going to want to ask. So I'm, I'm, I thought through the questions, and we're going to kind of go through it, these three questions here. What is a blood covenant? I figured people would want to know. What's a blood covenant? Number two, what covenant was Jesus' blood initiating? And number three, why should I care? that Jesus' death was a blood covenant. So that's what we're going to tackle today. So the first question, what is a blood covenant? In simple definitions, a blood covenant is a pact or an oath between two or more parties initiated by the shedding of blood to enter into that pact. Now, when I was a kid, I don't hear about it so much now that I'm an adult, but when I was a kid, one of um, uh, a type of blood covenant that I heard of quite often was actually called blood brothers. Okay, between like cowboys and Indians or Indians and Indians. I don't hear it so much. I don't know, maybe it's still floating out there. But as Americans, that's like the closest thing that I could think of as to how we could understand what a blood covenant is. Blood brothers. We weren't born from the same mother, but we are committed to each other for life. And I've got your back and you've got my back. And it's so powerful that it lasts their entire lifetime. Okay? The word covenant in Hebrew, berith, means to cut. Now, not all covenants are blood covenants in Scripture, but the most powerful of them are blood covenants. Again, blood to cut. So when you make a covenant, it is a very big deal in God's eyes. And by design, blood covenants are irreversible once made. Okay, the blood can't go back into your hand. Okay, can't bring the animal back to life. Like it's it's irreversible. Once it's made, it's made. Okay. So some examples of blood covenants in Scripture would be the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis 15, the covenant with Moses and the Israelites that, were, that was made with God, circumcision, which that one to me is just ironic, you know, to cut and circumcision, I don't know, just makes me laugh. Anyway, marriage is a blood covenant, and Jesus' death on the cross, which we're going to focus on, is a blood covenant, okay? So I'm going to draw out two of these blood covenants to help you understand what I mean when I say blood covenant, and then being a parent, I just want to let, let anyone know if you've got young ears, I've got an elementary school kid here that I'm about to share some stuff that I'm okay with him hearing, but if you, if you don't want that, the next five to seven minutes is not for you. Go take a bathroom break with your, with your little one, okay? Um, but we're going to dive right in to covenant. Abrahamic covenant. Genesis 15 is a historical account between God and Abraham. And God tells Abraham, Abraham, I want to make a covenant with you. So what I want you to do is I want you to take some animals, I want you to cut them in half, and I want you to lay one half over here and one half over there. Well, that's weird. Why would God ask Abraham to do that? Well, some historical context is the kings of that time, if they wanted to enter into the most powerful binding oath that they knew of, they would enter into this kind of a covenant where they cut animals in half, they would set them to the side, and then the kings would agree on the terms of the, cover, of the covenant, saying, okay, I'll, I'll do this and you'll do that. And then, to solidify it, they would walk between the two pieces of the animals on either side. And the covenant went like this. If I break my end of the bargain, may I be like these animals. May I be cut in two like these animals. May I die if I break my end of the covenant. That's a pretty powerful covenant to make. Any takers? Yet God is entering into one of these kinds of covenants with Abraham. 
Abraham has laid the pieces of the animals to the side, and he was sneaky. He'd put Abraham to sleep. And God alone walked between the two pieces of the animal. What was God doing? He was saying, I alone am responsible for keeping the covenant. This is a one-sided covenant that I will, that I will make. And between that and, and upon swearing upon himself the two greatest things that God could have done, he swore to Abraham, I will give you a people who will be as numerous as the stars of the sky and the sand of the seashore. I will give you land, a promised land. And, a, and I will give you a seed that will be a blessing to all the nations. And Paul picked up on that in the New Testament in Galatians. And he says that promise that God made was the gospel in advance. That seed would ultimately be Jesus, the Messiah, who would die on a cross, and anyone who put their faith in him would be blessed. I will bless all nations of the earth because of you, Abraham. So that's one type of covenant, a blood covenant between God and Abraham that was for all people. Another type of covenant is marriage. So again, we have God with people. This one is people to people. Now I bring this up because to me it's fascinating to see just how God works and how he designed creation. When I was little, I often wondered, okay, so marriage, when does someone become a husband? When does someone become a wife? At what point? Is it when you stand up here and you give vows before everyone? When is that moment that you guys, or that, that you enter into a marriage covenant? And God revealed to me from Scripture that that moment was actually, by his design, when that young man and that young woman come together for the first time. How God designed it is that when a virgin man and a virgin woman come together for the first time, there is a skin within the woman that is broken, called the hymen, that breaks and then bleeds. And it initiates a blood covenant between that man and that woman. In that moment, he is her husband and is devoted to her for the rest of his life. She becomes his wife, and she is devoted to her for the rest, devoted to him, for the rest of her life. Let me take you to Matthew 19 so you can see what I'm talking about. Matthew 19, just a few, a few chapters over. We're going to read verses 4 through 6. Jesus is questioned by the, Pharise by the Pharisees about divorce. When is it okay to get a divorce? On what grounds? Jesus replied in verse 4, chapter 19, Haven't you read that he, God, who created them in the beginning, made them male and female? And he also said, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, man must not separate. When you make this blood covenant with your spouse, teenagers, if you have sex before marriage, you are making a blood covenant in that moment. And if you then go on and have sex with someone else and then have sex with someone else, you are nullifying what it means to have a blood covenant with someone. You technically are having a blood covenant with each and every person that you do that with. So when you hear people say, don't have sex before marriage, it's not about being a good person. It's about honoring that individual. It's about honoring that covenant that God is, is initiating with that moment. 
if you're married, if you have an affair, you are breaking a blood covenant with your spouse and before God and creating a new one with another individual. Now, I'm not saying that because I want, I want to like, make you feel guilty or condemn you or anything like that. The cross of Jesus has the ability to forgive those kinds of sins and to renew and make new. I know personally from my own life, not between me and my wife, but between my parents, that God has the ability to restore when a blood covenant is broken. And I praise God for that. So I'm not trying to condemn. I'm simply trying to bring awareness that this kind of covenant is a, of marriage covenant is a blood covenant before God, and it is till death do we part. So in the same way that those are blood covenants and there's severity to the covenant that is being made, Jesus initiates a blood covenant with us as well. And it's as wide as humanity, but as narrow and as personal as you. He died on the cross for all of mankind, but every individual must enter into that blood covenant in order for Jesus' blood to be applied to their heart. As wide as humanity, as narrow as you. Let's talk about that a little bit more. What covenant was Jesus' Jesus' blood initiating? We read from Matthew 26. I'm going to just real quick take a look at Matthew 22 here. When he says the same thing, just slightly different. This cup is the new covenant established in my blood. New covenant. What is he talking about? Let me show you. Turn to Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34. And it reads this way. Look, the days are coming, this is the Lord's declaration, when I will make a new covenant, there it is, a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. This one will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, a covenant they broke even though I had married them. This is the Lord's declaration. Instead, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days. I will put my teaching within them and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will one teach his neighbor or his brother saying, know the Lord. For they will all know me, from the least to the greatest of them. This is the Lord's declaration. For I will forgive their wrongdoing and never again remember their sin. So what was the covenant that Jesus' blood was initiating? It was a new covenant. It was a covenant that God's word would be written on our hearts. When we enter into that blood covenant with Jesus, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, make their home in your heart. You become his temple. And when you read his word, his Holy Spirit makes it come alive, and he reveals more about himself. He reveals more about you and how he created this world and how he designed it to operate. His word is written on your heart. We will be his people, not his enemies. If we, are not, if we have not entered into a blood covenant with Jesus, we are his enemies. Our sin is an affront to God. It puts a barrier between us and God. But the new covenant established in his blood forgives those sins and breaks the barrier so that now we have entrance and we um, become his people. I am his son. You are his son. You are his daughter. We become his children at that point. We're adopted. And we will know God 
personally. He won't just be some vague creature out in the universe. He is a person, and he desires a relationship with you, so much so that he came to earth to die on a cross so that you could have a relationship with him personally. And our sins will be forgiven and remembered no more. I don't know if there's someone in this room this morning that you feel the weight of your sin. I don't know if you've been looking for a way to get rid of it, a way to get around it, a way to fix the problem, but I want to tell you here today that Jesus is asking you, will you give it to me? Can I have it? My shoulders are strong enough to take it, my blood powerful enough to destroy it, and it will be remembered no more. So why should I care? Hopefully, in our conversation, that's coming to light why we should care. But let's, let's go through this question. Let's think through it a little bit more. Number one, as we take into consideration, a step back, what we've been going through as a church with basic Christianity, here are some of the core tenets. God exists, and he sent his son. The whole reason why Christianity even matters is because God indeed does exist, and he does have standards. And guess what? We break those standards. We as humanity have a problem, a sin problem. And it's not about environment. Society would tell you, yeah, all the bad things that happen is because we don't have things in place in society to fix it. It's an environmental problem. Lies. The problem is here. It's in our hearts. The sin problem is a heart problem. It's the core of who you are, deteriorated by sin. And those sins have real consequences, whether on a human level or on God's level. If you murder someone, you're going to go to court. They're going to try you. They're going to find some sort of sentence. Depending on, on what that offense was, if it's just stealing, maybe it's just a, a, a money fine, maybe it's community service, maybe it's jail time, maybe the ultimate price, it could be the death sentence. But on God's level, all sins have one consequence. Scripture is very clear. The wages of sin is death. Hell. And God says, I don't want that to be your story. Unchanged, that is what everybody's story is. As Americans, sometimes we focus on what we, what's our right, what do we deserve. We deserve hell. That's what we deserve. But God said, that's not the story I want you to have. Please listen Jesus came because that, he did not want that to be your story. Okay? He came with the express purpose to deal with the sin issue once and for all. His death and resurrection, his blood, which initiates the covenant, has the ability to forgive sin. He took on the consequence that we deserved so that heaven and spending time with God, that now becomes the story and not hell. So why should I care about this blood covenant? Because it helps you to understand that you are either an insider or you are an outsider. There is no middle ground with a blood covenant. With Passover, you either obeyed God and put blood on the doorposts of the house so that when the angel of death saw it, they would pass over you. 
or you didn't obey God and there is no blood on the doorpost and your firstborn child dies. There's no in-between. You either obeyed or you didn't. And when God looks at each and every one of us, he's going, to say, he's, he's going to be, look at your heart, and is there the blood of Jesus over the doorpost of your heart or not? There is no middle ground with a blood covenant. And if he looks at you and he sees the blood on your, on your doorpost, he's like, that is my child. That person has been forgiven of sins. That person is righteous because of my son. They are mine, and they will spend eternity with me forever. But if you don't, it's a different story. Once the blood of Jesus has been applied to your heart, here's what he's promised to do based on the new covenant. Your sin will be dealt with forever, and you will be declared righteous. Death will be reversed. He promised that when he came the second time, that he would, every person who believes that he is the Messiah would be raised from the dead with him and would rule and reign with him as co-heirs with him. Hell has no victory over you. Death has lost its sting. Hell has no victory. You are free in Christ. And your sinful heart is made new and is constantly being renewed. I'm not going to stand up here this morning and tell you that, yeah, I'm a believer in Jesus, therefore I'm perfect. I'm not. I sin a lot. Okay? Okay. Even this morning, we're getting ready from church. I'm like, come on, children, get ready. We're going to go praise God this morning, okay? But he has awoken a new heart within me. And in moments like that, if I humble myself before him, he will renew my heart continuously to look more and more like him. And again, that's the goal of the covenant, is to look more like Jesus. And you have access to God. I don't want to downplay the blood of Jesus forgiving our sins. That is huge. I can't even begin to, to tell you how huge that is. But there's one moment in the death of Jesus to me that is just mind-blowing, and that is when he dies, the curtain in the temple is torn in two. So if you don't know the context, there's a, there's a curtain within the temple that separates the Holy of Holies from just the holy place. And God dwells in the Holy of Holies. And this curtain was always to say, you do not have access to God anytime you want to. Once a year, one chosen person may enter into the Holy of Holies to deal with the sin of the nation. Otherwise, stay out. You don't have access to me. But when Jesus dies on the cross, from top to bottom, the curtain is torn. We have access to God through the blood covenant. To me, that's just amazing. Okay? So then, if that's why we should care, how then is the blood of Jesus applied to me? How do I enter into this blood covenant with Jesus? And I'm going to offer three words for you. Faith, humility, and submission. But before I talk about you, I want to talk about Jesus. Because I think that Jesus, in order to initiate the blood covenant, had to have faith, humility, and submission. And this is what I mean by that. The night that Jesus was going to die, he prayed to his Father, God, Father, if there is any other way, any other way, please, please, I don't know if I can do it. But not my 
will. Yours be done. He trusted his father that if there was any other way to take care of sin, any other way to bring you and me into a relationship with him, he would have provided it. But there was no other way. And he believed in his father. He trusted his father. He had faith in his father. He humbled himself. Scripture is very clear that Jesus is the son of God. And he came down to earth. He gave up all of his glory, all of his power to join you and me, someone who eats and sleeps and needs to take a shower. He humbled himself and then humbled himself again. We deserved the death that he brought upon himself. We deserved God's wrath, God's punishment. We deserved hell. And Jesus says, I'll take it. I'll take it for you. He humbled himself, not once, but twice. And he submitted himself to his Father. He bore every ounce of God's wrath on that cross. I guarantee you that was not an easy moment in his life. But he trusted his Father, he humbled himself, and he submitted to God's wrath in that moment through his death. That is what it took to initiate the blood covenant. So then in our end, we must too have faith, submission, humility. We have to pause long enough to say, Jesus, yes, you are the Son of God. I do believe that. I do believe that you died on a cross for me and that your blood really does forgive my sins. I believe that you not only died on the cross, but that you rose again, proving that you have power over death and over hell. We must humble ourselves and say, God, I am a sinner. I have broken your laws. I, I am in the wrong, and you are in the right. Will you forgive me? We have to submit ourselves. You are Lord. I give myself over to you and ask that you enter into my heart and apply your blood over the doorposts of my heart. Please exchange my heart of stone for a heart of flesh and continue to develop within me a passion and love for you and to become more like you. That's what it takes to enter into the blood covenant. For those of us who are believers, we're not out. It's not, that's not just a moment in time. We continuously need to have faith in our Father, faith in Jesus. We continuously need to humble ourselves and submit ourselves. You know, the first thing that Jesus asks us to do when, when we put our faith in him is to be baptized. If you have not been baptized, why not? If he's Lord and he's asked you to do it, what holds you back? If you are a believer, but there's some secret compartment in your heart that you're keeping from God, why? Humble yourself. Submit to God. Yes, he'll do surgery. Surgery always hurts, but I, you will be better on the other side of the surgery. Trust him. Submit yourself to him. Humble yourself before him. Maybe some of us in this room, what we really need to do is get out there and share the gospel with other people. Jesus, as Lord, has asked us to do that. And I get that, probably more than, more than most people, how hard that is. When I was in ninth grade, I was probably the shyest person you could ever imagine. But God had a conversation with me, not verbally, but in my heart. He said, Ryan, you believe in me, you spend time in my word, and we're pretty close. What good is that doing anybody else? 
And he really challenged me to step outside my comfort zone, to reach the people around me. I guarantee you, when I was in ninth grade, I would not be standing up here talking to you. That was not in my wheelhouse. Okay? It has taken years of submitting to God and trusting him. The first time I ever went to share the gospel was, in a college, was at a college campus in Tennessee, and I'm, I, I was sure someone was going to knife me or shoot me. Okay? I was scared. But as believers, we have to step outside our comfort zones. We have to submit ourselves to Jesus, and we have to follow his lead. His Holy Spirit is moving all around us. Are we following him? So we're going to take a moment, these next two minutes, and, and all I want you to do is pray. I want you to pray this question. God, what is my next step? Because as, as a human, I can try to come up with a hundred different scenarios on how the blood of Jesus being a blood covenant, applies to you. But I'm sure God's already been working in your hearts, and I want you to take a moment now to talk to him. God, what is my next step? Two minutes in silence. Again, Jesus said, For this is my blood that establishes the covenant. It is shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Father, I pray that you would help all of us in this room to enter into that blood covenant with you. If there is a person here who does not know you as their Lord and Savior, I pray that you would continue to work in their hearts and draw them closer to you. I pray for those of us who are believers, Father, that you would not stop that, that drawing to yourself, but that you would continue to renew us and to make us more like you, and that the blood of your covenant would continue to just amaze us, wash over us, and just draw us to you so that we may know you. 
personally. Thank you that you died on the cross. Thank you that you did it for all humanity. But thank you specifically that you did it for me and that you did it for each person in this room. And I pray that they would come to a full realization of just how much you love them. These things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, again, as we, as a church, we're going through the book. Chapter 7 is where we were. Guarantee you what I just spoke to you is not in the book, so there's more to learn. Okay? So read through that. And then as a benediction, uh, let me dismiss you. Now may the God of peace who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, with the blood of the everlasting covenant, equip you with all that is good to do his will, working in us what is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. Glory belongs to him forever and ever. Amen. You're dismissed.